Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time, personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys. And the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot and it's able to pull in lead and contact information so you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead, find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So, Hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. Just like that. It's live. Woo. Technology. I can't wait to introduce you to who I'm talking to today. Uh, the introduction was beyond a page. Below the fold, there's all, all the things to say. So what I will just summarize with is, is an author, disruptive marketing. And that's also what we're going to be talking about today. What growth hackers, data punks, and other hybrid thinkers can teach us about navigating the new normal. Holy cow, what a subtitle. Future-proof designing, keynote speaking, podcasting, a top 10 ranked business news podcast. That is not easy, folks. There are thousands of podcasts. Uh, so to be in the, the top 100 with, with, uh, with Apple and Black Tea, that's huge. Head of brand studio, Microsoft Advertising. Jeff Colon, how are you, sir? I'm good, how you doing? Man, like I almost lost myself in your introduction. You've been busy. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while that we've, uh, I think we've been talking a while about doing this uh, chat back and forth with one another. I'm glad we're yeah. finally making it happen. Finally here, finally doing it. And we're talking wow. disruptive marketing. We're talking curiosity. And so we're going to start this off the way we start 
every show off, and this is heavy, but I'm thinking you can handle it. Here you go. This is Thor's hammer. So go ahead and take that <laughs> and and smash for me. There you go. Smash for me some kind of marketing myth, you know, myths even, many. What drives you crazy? What are we doing wrong? Misconceptions? You just want to set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, I think if you read any article that has the subject line, blank is dead, you <laughs> should be skeptical of that because nothing really dies in marketing. It's just um, reconfigured or remixed. You know, a couple yeah. years ago, we heard a lot about how, you know, billboard advertising was dead. Yet out-of-home advertising is one of the fastest-growing segments um, of the traditional uh, marketing channels. And the reason why is because, you know, Casey, we realize that traditional works really well with digital. So that's another myth is that, oh, traditional doesn't work, digital works. Actually, both of them play really well off of each other, and that's good for small and large businesses to understand because small businesses in the past, I grew up in that era where they would, you know, maybe sponsor a local event or a team, sure. something that got their physical name somewhere with their phone number. And then along came digital and they were spot, they were doing a lot of digital marketing and then forgetting about sort of mm. the physical space. I think where, where it's come back full circle is many of them now realize Hey, it's not necessarily a bad thing for me to take out something physical that people can see with my website or my phone number on it and also do everything that I need to do on the digital side. So these play off of each other. So the big, big, you know, the, the, what I want to take Thor's hammer to is that yeah. belief system that these areas don't play or interact with one another and that consumers don't interact in both of these spaces either. I think there's been this over-indexing that everybody buys everything online. That's not true. I mean, we so, sort of go you know, in and out of physical and digital spaces, which makes it, I think, a little more difficult for some companies to capture the linear consumer journey. Yeah. But I think if we realize, hey, people come to decisions in a variety of ways, and we have to play in all these areas, I think your marketing will do a lot you know, better when it comes to performance or the creative message you're trying to drive or the return on investment that you're getting yeah. when it comes to people saying like, oh, hey, you shouldn't spend any money you know, in this area. You should just spend it in this one area. People don't play in one area. They play in a variety of areas. And, and I think reach still matters. It's true. I mean, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, what kind of things do you not buy online? You know, because you know, oh, take it for granted. Amazon can give you everything, but sometimes there are things you just feel more comfortable. Like for me, hiking boots. You know, like <laughs> something I'm gonna be stuck with. Like my wife's really good at returns, but like I, you know, like I, I don't want the hassle. I need to make sure this thing fits. Does it fit my foot with the thick sock on? I mean, I know this is more of a consumer example, but there's some things that you know, whether it's a consumer or even a business, you're like, okay, I don't just want to click a button here. Let me take my time. And so the traditional side, to your point, I mean, what, what would you not buy online? Is there anything or are you just all, all, all on it? I mean, I think it's interesting. We, we have a tendency of, um, 
you know, forgetting about some things that aren't necessarily consumer products. Like I would shop for, um, I would shop for quotes around insurance online, but I still may want to speak to a person at an insurance company before I sign the dotted line on, on a policy. Um, I think some of those things we forget about, you know, some of those, um, some of those things which you're, you're using, you know, online research heavily, yeah. but, um, you know, you might not make, you know, may not make that purchase. I mean, clothing's still a big one for me. I don't, um, I, I don't buy a lot. Yeah. Like a chain uh, club or something like that. Yeah. I don't buy a lot online. Um, but I also, I think have the behavior that others have. If I do order things online, I order in a variety of sizes, knowing that, um, I want to try different ones on knowing that, you know, two or three of them are probably going to be returned. Um, just because it might be, if you, if you do order one size, the problem is it doesn't fit, let's say, yeah, or you don't like the way it looks. Um, it sounds like so much work. Do you, I mean, how does the return go? And do you do a lot of returns? Uh, I mean, I don't mind getting three jeans off the rack and then yeah. find them on and just leave them there. Maybe I'll fold them to be nice, but you know, I don't have to package it up, <laughs> send it back to the mothership. Yeah. I mean, I try not to, you know, I think what re I think the interesting retailers are the ones that have fused the, the fact that they don't mind their customers buying online, but then they're really open to, Hey, return anything you want to at a store. Or return, you know, return it to us online. Again, it's around the convenience of a of a person. You might be out doing other errands and realize it's just easier for me to go into the store and return these. At other times, it's just easier to put it in a package and send it back. Um, yeah, clothing's a big one that I think, you know, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I shoes I I really like to try on yeah. rather than ordering those and sending those back. I just think it's easier to try on in a store. Um, and see if I, and, it, and you, you could just see it and know that you like it and you basically, you know, like the feel of it or, or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I just think there's certain things that are going to be still, people are going to enjoy sort of that experience of shopping. But I mean, I will tell you the online world is really, you know, helped, I think in terms of the shopping experience, the ability to search for different things on some of these retailers has gotten better. Uh, some of the experiences have gotten better. It's not just sort of the boring, like, hey, I looked up a product, I found it, I put it in my cart, and that's that. I think I think now some companies are realizing, let's make it fun and interesting if people are going to be in here, um, just like they would in a store if they give you an experience. Right. So, yeah. You know, um, your original point, too, because I love tangents, your original point we were all just talking about is like, it's the combination, it's not just the digital, but don't forsake the traditional because now that everyone went that one way, there's plenty of things for the taking. And actually I was recently buying some like weights and uh, going up, you know, moving up in the world, going the next size up. And, um, and I was shopping around, you know, Walmart was telling me good price. Tar you know, I was in Target with my kid and uh, we're, we're there. I'm like, oh, here, here they are. And Target wanted something like, 12 or 15 dollars per weight more than what walmart had said or, or amazon actually i think it had said and and so i was like on principle i was like no can't do this let's save some money and, and sure enough it was cheaper 
to have <laughs> Amazon ship them in a box. And the, bo the poor box is all beat up by the time it gets there because all it is is a wait in there. And, and it shows up and yeah, sure enough, you know, for the price, two for one really off of Amazon. So it surprises you. But yeah, the, the real world, the physical world, as well as the digital world, it's, it's all there. It's not dead. Nothing dies to your point. Um, I love your, by the way, we kind of skipped over that first myth. That first myth of the fact that if someone says something's dead, they're probably just trying to get someone's attention. I mean, if they yeah. believe it, I feel sad for them. They're, they're, I, I like to say, if someone is saying something is dead, they're an undertaker looking to sell you some new business. The coffin. <laughs> I like it. Undertaker. It's like, it's like uh, Back to the Future when they're sizing up Michael J. Fox. Like, oh, is this for a new suit? No, it's for your coffin. <laughs> <laughs> Checks the picture real quick. Am I fading? Am I fading? No, you're good. You're good. Okay. So very cool, man. So it, you, you are like the godfather of this disruptive marketing concept. How did, where did that come from? I mean, you're, you're, you're technically even just the father of it too, but like you're all things. Where did this concept come from? Had you always been sort of hearing and seeing some things that sort of came together or what did did you fall off the, the bathroom toilet, take up the flux capacitor? You know, where, where did it come from? <laughs> a lot of back to the future references. I know, man. I'm on a roll. I, I need to go back and watch that movie. It's been a while. Yep. yep. Third's my uh, favorite. Which one's your favorite? Uh, of the, you mean of the trilogy? Of the trilogy. Uh, the first one, the original one. The original's yeah. great. But I love that third one. A little bit of Wild West in there. It is. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of forecasting in that one, too, of things that sort of became true. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, no, I, 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 again, I don't think, um, you know, it's interesting to call, say, you know, godfather or father of something. Um, you know, most of that uh, book, when I did research on it, I just looked at a lot of things over the last couple of decades, uh, both in the digital world and the physical world, um, and tried to, you know, make sense of it as we, you know, in terms of pattern recognition, things are cyclical. You could see sort of things happening. Um, one of the things I sort of noted is, hey, the world is gonna, the online world is only gonna get, you know, more populated because it's like the universe. There's just infinite expansion in terms of where you can, of the things that you can do. There's businesses that, you know, can start and, and, and run direct to consumer, which we've seen quite a bit of the past couple of years, you know, how will that all play out? And, you know, it just, it was interesting. If you look at it, you know, in the book, I said, you know, you'll see a lot of digital companies go physical, a lot of physical companies go digital, basically what we call this convergence or this conjoint effect. We're all stealing each other's ideas because, ideas move quicker now. We can see an idea. We can steal that idea. We can put our own pattern on that, on that idea. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the bad effect of that though, um, and I called this out in the book, is you get a lot of people aiming for the middle. Like for example, if you go and use an airline app to make a purchase for an airline ticket, every airline app looks and functions and sounds the same. Yeah. It's not different. There's no differentiation. And if you look at many shopping experiences, it's very similar. You have a cart, 
you add to the cart, you put your payment information, you put your address, it ships to you. There's not really anything interesting there. I think what we're getting to in what we, I would call direct to consumer 2.0, cause we sort of have passed direct to consumer 1.0 is that differentiation factor. And that's really why I wrote the book is, Hey, how do you move beyond the middle or how do you move beyond the beige? If you think about, you know, what personal computers look like back in the nineties, they were all beige or, or, or white in color. They weren't really interesting. It wasn't until Apple said, wait, we're going to put a spin on this with the iMac. And you probably remember that, mm -hmm. that you're like, whoa, this is a really cool looking the computer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it didn't it didn't really sell well, but no? I think it, I think it helped Apple 10 years before they put 10 or 15 years before they came out with the iPhone, get back into the um, area where people were like, wait, they're not necessarily dead. Maybe they do have life in them. You know, now that Steve Jobs is back in the mix there. But I think what, you know, what we've seen from a lot of companies is they're just aiming for the middle with a lot of their, you know, experiences. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, who differentiates with some unique factors um, you know, in the next decade, which is almost upon us, you know, now that we're getting closer to the end of 2019, like what will the 2020s hold? I do think you'll have a lot more companies thinking about design, uh, all the different customers that they do have, personalization, uh, things of that nature. So it does make it unique. I mean, granted, there are some things you're just interested in getting in and getting out. And I think companies that create the best experience for that know that. But there are other there are other things that people do not want to just go in and out. They're like, hey, wait a minute, do something different that makes it interesting for me and I'll come back and continue to use your service more. Yeah. Those are the companies I think that have to think about, you know, how they get beyond the middle. So, you know, again, how do you make things more interesting and fun for some of these categories that we have a tendency of thinking of them as just boring? Um, you know, and of course we come up, you know, we think about shopping quite a bit, but there's a, you know, a ton of categories out there we could talk about that, um, that don't have to be boring. That could yeah. be really, you know, interesting. So, yeah, you know, honestly, I've seen that change from Microsoft too. You know, I, I've seen it at the store and I'm seeing kids playing games in the mall and changing things up. And so, but what does the middle look like? And why do you suppose people aim for it? I mean, I think the middle is, you know, basically this functions, it does really well. Um, it, um, it doesn't really cause too much, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make waves, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, there's certain companies people use because they work really well. I mean, it goes back to the old slogan, you know, you never, no one was ever fired for buying IBM. You know, that was the old slogan from the 60s and 70s. Right. I think it's the same thing that, you know, exists now. People aren't, you know, they don't, there's not a lot of risk out there. And to be honest with you, humans aren't really good at risk. Mm. We know from neuroscience that we're not, humans don't like risk. They don't want to necessarily go lot, do lots of things. They don't like change. I mean, if you ask anybody, Hey, you're going to come in tomorrow and this is the whole new setup I have for you. A lot that tears a lot of people's hair out. They're just like, "Whoa, I can't deal with that. That's too much." Humans don't really like change. So I think 
you know, aiming for the middle isn't necessarily a bad thing once you have something down to almost the science. But then I think people, once they become comfortable with that, they're, they're like, okay, show me something that's actually unique that might be a little bit different from what I'm used to doing. Otherwise, you know, I don't, I don't need to use these services that you're providing me. Anybody else can, you know, basically provide these. So yeah. I think the middle is something that, you know, people want to get to something that functions. I think that's why they aim for, hey, we need our business to, you know, operate in this area. At least that way, people aren't going to, you know, abandon using our service. But once you're there, what is the wow factor? What are some of the things you can design for people that go beyond just the ordinary you know, day to day. And I remember reading this in, in, I can't remember what, I think it was a book called The Paradox of Choice, Ooh. which is from 2004. You know, reading about this where, you know, you think about, you know, seriously, why would you buy, you know, an alarm clock or a plunger or anything that, you know, is designed differently? Why not just buy something that just works? Well, the thing is, there's just all this choice out there. So the differentiation is, hey, that's the one that actually is the most interesting and the most unique, or it does something that it works the best, but it's also designed in a really interesting way. And I think that's where comp what companies have to realize now is all these companies, including big retailers that um, sell things, have the ability to create um, products to sort of you know, take up that middle. I mean, that's why you have Amazon basics. That's why, you know, mm. basically companies are creating all these products that other companies used to create in the past, because you may not have necessarily brand affinity for some of these, you know, lower end products. But I think on the higher end products, you have to think about the fact that there's going to be knockoffs in that area as well. We're just so in a world now where anything can be replicated and duplicated yeah. quickly. So, you know, that actually makes me think that brands are more important than ever before, not the opposite, because a brand actually stands for something more than just, yeah, that no I have that knockoff product. I mean, we were talking before about microphones and whatnot before we got yeah. on the show. Yeah. I mean, anybody can go buy a $15, you know, microphone that functions for podcasts. Sure. But there's You're something cool about owning a microphone that's designed well, looks yeah. good on your desk, you know, that makes you look like a professional podcaster. Case. Sure. I mean, you that's, you know, that, that's, too. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's different. That, that, that's why I think brands do matter again, because they, they want to put quality into their product and their design. And they actually want people like you and I to be able to bond over that and talk about, hey, yeah, oh, I own that one too. That's a really cool thing. Rather than saying, oh yeah, I got the knockoff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about you? Uh, so, I mean, you know, word of mouth is, you know, more important than ever before because people still talk to each other. There's more communication in a lot of other channels. Um, so I think all, all this is now leading to more emphasis for brands to realize, you know, how do we involve our customers in the creation or the um, redesign of some of our products. Some of the best software companies have been doing this forever. They've been basically saying, tell us what you like or dislike about our software 
and we'll make those changes. I think now that's moving into more physical products and, you know, things, you know, other things that are, that are happening. Like we have to listen more so we can, we can actually make better products and services. And I think some companies have caught on to that. Others, they're still just operating like, you know, they know all, uh, and they are the end all, and that uh, that I think is what what's sort of keeping them in that beige area. Yeah, the beige, the lukewarm. You know, I, I think a lot of what I got from that too is that it's safe in the middle. Yeah, you know, you're not the laggard, you're not the loser, you're not the the growth winner either. But you know, no one got fired hiring RBM. But like, is yeah. there a dot dot dot, and no one really grew dramatically either? You just kind of existed, and and I don't know. But um, it, yeah, it takes a little courage to do the change. And the, it, when you said, does anyone like change? Like my phrase is always, I hate change. I literally hate pocket change. And <laughs> so like, I hate like any definition of change you have. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> though I like creating it sometimes. I don't know. See, I, I like making birthday surprises. But I don't like receiving them. <laughs> yeah. So you like that. You like to go out and actually be on the prescriptive side of, in you know influence when it comes to the the birthday celebration but you're sort of like hey i don't want to be on the receiving end of it yeah well i get nervous yeah. about it <laughs> <Which is funny. laughs> i like to create oprah moments but not necessarily be in them <laughs> like okay yeah. what's happening here guys <laughs> uh, so 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 how do you let's say let's say you've kind of heard this podcast and you're like uh, i might be in the middle what do I do? Like, is there like a first step you recommend to, to get yourself out of the beige? What color is beige? Anyway, is that like brown? It's like brown. It's like a mixture of like brown and, and like a little bit of brown and white. I mean, it's pretty much what you paint your wall, uh, walls at like an office oh, because, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, or off white, you know, like some, something like that to sort of like, cause it's not supposed to really stand out. Yeah. It's just, it's just there. Like a cute um, yeah. yeah. So I think that's always interesting too. Like you just, you know, it's like you have people who are like, Hey, I don't really want to stand out. Um, and I think in a world where maybe you were the only service that existed in your geographic area yeah. or globally, it was, of course it was easy to aim for the middle. You may have been the only one of like two or three options. Yeah. You think about it. Like, think about this for a second. The you know the um, let's use like rent the rental car market as a good yeah. example. Yeah. You know, thirty or forty years ago, you had maybe three companies. You had Hertz. Yeah. You had Avis, and you probably and you had um, uh, I think you had, you had budget. Yeah. So and of course you had others that came along and were more like. They were more regional. Alamo was more regional. I mean, now these companies are, you know, they're, they're, they're nationwide or they're international. Yeah. It was very easy. And I don't want to pick on them, but you could, you know, say to be an Avis where you were you, like, hey. Did you have one you went to for a while, like a go-to? Yeah, I mean, like Avis. Oh, I was, I mean, I was a big fan. I'm, I mean, I'm still a big fan of Enterprise if I, you know. Well, Enterprise is no so I just because I wrote this, but then I, I ended up going to Hertz, but then sorry, Uber came along and I, I haven't really rented in a long time, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting though. Cause it's like, you know, if you think about um, Avis, their whole slogan was we try harder. 
they were always second to Hertz, but they sort of just, you know, they just had to, they had to be there and they probably took most of that activity from just being second in market. Same thing. I mean, I think we could find this in almost any category. um, If we looked at it, Um, you know, when it comes to soft drinks, Coke and Pepsi, when you look at, you know, personal computing, it was, it was, you know, Microsoft and Apple. When you look at, you know, uh, other, other, Oh, Nike, Adidas. I mean, you can find it in any area. Um, now if I said, Hey, let's talk about a, you know, a category and we were talking about rental cars. Now there's like, not just rental cars, but all these other alternatives that Mm -hmm. make it difficult for rental cars to function. Like, Oh, Hey, I use this other service where this person basically loans me their car for a couple of days while I'm there. Or I don't even rent a car. I just use ride sharing services or, you know, whatever else might exist. So it's not just like, Hey, we're number two in our category, but companies now have to think about how do they appeal to people who might not use their category at all. And that's what I think is really, really interesting because, you know, it's the same uh, um, conversation we have when it comes to, you know, this discussion around content that brands just, you know, talk about. They're always like, well, we do this and our two or three competitors do this. Mm-hmm. And you almost have to correct people to say, well, it's not just your competition. It's also everybody outside your competition that you're fighting for other people's attention when yeah. it comes to your particular category. I think that, I think the reason a lot of people at brands miss this is because when you work inside a brand, you think about that brand 99% of your life and 1% about your competition. Whereas when you're a consumer or you're a person, you don't think about any of those things. You're not thinking about that brand 100%. You're only thinking about them maybe like 0.001% of your life when you actually need to use them or you have to come up with that decision to figure out if you're going to use them. And that's where I think we've, we've really gotten away from you know, understanding how to move away from the middle most of the reason we're in the middle is because middle management at companies is going to just aim for that. They don't want their head chopped off. They don't want to take any, they don't want to take on any risk. They believe in oxymorons like calculated risk. I mean, it's like these people who say they can time the market or they can time a bet. Like, yeah, sure you can. Uh, Especially all those Cleveland Browns fans that thought they were going to go uh, 15 and one this season. I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah, they thought they were going to crush the Patriots, too. I mean, give me a break. They're going to be lucky to, like, even get into the playoffs. And I think all real Browns fans know that who are, you know, who might be listening. You know, but that's, that's the thing. It's hard to time markets. It's hard to time really anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why we, you know, you, you know, staying in the middle, we think it's safe, could actually be the most dangerous thing you ever do. It could be because then you, like – I don't know if this is in your book, but like Blockbuster stayed in the middle, you know, <laughs> like they kind of just hung out like, Hey, what's up, man. You know, it was a staple of our, and they just, they were good, but their edge was gone. And then yeah, I don't know if you heard this, but they had a chance to buy Netflix at one point. They did. They yeah. did. And they're like, yeah. nah, <laughs> we don't want it. Harry yeah. Potter. Now nah, that'll never be successful. We don't want that. <laughs> That's crazy. And then Viacom bought them for a bit and like, I think sort of ruined where they were going to, 
what they were going to try to be. There was just a lot of, that's the other thing too. We don't look at, we look at a lot of disruption as, Hey, this company made, you know, a couple of mistakes. A lot of the mistakes that were made on management or mismanagement. Um, You know, I mean, if you look at it, like Sears hasn't been doing well. Kmart hasn't been doing well. Right. It's very easy to read articles that, oh, retail is dead. It's dying. Because, like, look at these two, you know, huge companies that have run into problems. Most of that's due to mismanagement, though. Mm. It's, a, it's a mismanagement of funds. It's a mismanagement of what areas they need to be in. Um, you know, so, again, this is a, this is a fundamental understanding of, of what it takes to actually be in business, whether you're running your own or you're running a mid-sized business, or you're running some big entity, is what do you, how are you going to manage that? How are you going to motivate your people? And how are you gonna, and what are the mismanagement you know, steps that you can make? And I think it's also important to note that you're going to make mistakes because it's like all these teams that believe, well, we're making the right thing, we're making, we're making the right decisions here, and they never factor in that there's always going to be some miscalculations because there is human error or human misjudgment or lack of execution. That's why even the best teams in the world once in a while give up a goal, give up a run, give up points because you're human. We're human. We make mistakes. So I think we have to factor that into you know business and not look at it like, well, you know, we can calculate all of our risk and it'll work like a trading algorithm on Wall Street, you know, with finances or something like that. That's just, that's, that's not practical and it's not realistic. Yeah, that's true. It isn't necessarily those, those singular inflection moments as much as it may be just a collection of, you know, how they did business every day, how they were managed every day, to your point. And, and I also see a lot of these companies probably were in the, they were disruptive at one point. You know, oh, you want a catalog? Nah, just come into the store. We've we've got everything. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have! I don't have to order in a catalog. You have it all. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Let me come in. Oh, you have makeup over here, and you have the, the downstairs, and oh, this is fantastic. And now you know they were cool at one point. Yep. JC Penney's. <laughs> JC Penney. Yep. Oh yeah. What are you gonna do to to keep? It's almost like you gotta routinely put aside whatever cool disruption you did to succeed and kind of like venture back out there and, and try something else. Yeah. And I think what's interesting too is some companies, they do try to do that, but then they don't give enough time for it to happen. Like I read this interesting research that it takes 66 consecutive days to build a habit. Well, what's the number one problem that people have? Oh, this isn't working. They give up too early. That's why pretty much 30 days into a new year, most people are like, not working, I'm leaving the gym. Can't, can't yeah. get fit. They're giving up too soon. If it takes 66 days to build a habit, then you gotta actually continue to prosper in that area. And it goes back to what you're saying. Too many companies will say, let's make this change. This will be good for our business. And then they're like, this isn't working, let's, let's bail. And they don't give enough time for it to actually stick. You know, JCPenney tried to redesign all of its stores a couple of years ago. Really? And just never, yes. They hired the head of Apple stores to come in as the CEO. And the reason why is because he was a very interesting designer when it came to retail experiences. And he basically said, we're going to remove a lot of stuff, a lot of clutter from our stores. 
and make them clean and give them interesting modern sight lines and make it real, a real experience. And the board, after about a month, said, this is not working. You're fired, and we're going to go back to the ways that we've done. They didn't give enough time oh, for it to happen. And the great thing about that, actually, is another store at the time, which was running into issues, Target, borrowed from that what JCPenney was doing, uncluttered their store. If you go into a Target now, they're v it's very uncluttered from what it used to be. You know, very open sight lines, pretty much not about, hey, let's stock a billion things, but let's stock the things that we, you know, people will find interesting. And they actually took what JCPenney was doing and made it successful for themselves. So that goes back to, again, smart companies will just steal what other companies are unwilling to do for a long period of time to actually make that change wow. happen. And if you think about it, Apple really did disrupt the retail experience because they just said, we're going to make everything like a personal concierge yeah. that had not existed in retail for a period of time because retailers were about that personal experience. Then they just said, oh, we don't want to have all these people on the floor. Yeah. Let's get rid of that. You have one person you know, handling like 200 people. Then it becomes very impersonal. People are like, let me get out of here. I don't like this. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. I don't even need to go in there. I'll just go online to buy these things. <laughs> and that's really where, that's, what, that's, that's basically caused this perfect storm the past you know, decade where you just had a number of people fed up with the lack of service that they were getting or not the right service or a terrible store experience. And hey, I can get that stuff online. Oh, and it's actually not that bad online. Oh, but then they also revamped you know, what their physical offering might be. So that's also interesting. I mean, all that plays into one another. It's just, it's fascinating to see that, you know, these things are all tied together and people don't look at them as separate entities, but business units, unfortunately do. Yeah. It takes courage, you know, to, uh, you know, I guess for leaders and also institutional courage for them to step up to the plate and, uh, you know, see yourself, this is tried and true. This is working. Yeah. But you need you need to stay when you keep changing. You're going to turn into blockbuster. Oh no no no! Let's stay like people in the right places need to have the courage to step up. And I could see how you know that that poor exec that was trying to lead them into change. I hope we hope he found or she found whoever it was found like the next place and was able to take the, someone who actually wanted to change through that process. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think that's the hardest thing is is being in those situations where. You could have all the data in the world, but you still need people to say, this is where, where we're going to go. This is our strategy. This is where we're going to go based on all those things. These are the big bets that we're going to make, you know, in our business. I mean, business is still based on big bets. And I don't know why people think that um, we can minimize that. I think, I, think, I think you can sharpen your focus mm -hmm. as a result of the, the data that is around you. But, you know, a lot of companies have the same access to that information. So how you, what are those big bets that you're going to make that make you appealing and, and, and actually sort of fit the zeitgeist of what, uh, you know, consumer sentiment is at the moment? Makes sense. I, I went to a, a conference. Um, it was a hypergrowth. I don't know if it was Drift and a couple of years back and they had a, uh, Shaka Pilgrim. I don't know if you've heard of her. She 
for like um, marketing in the world of like Def Jam Records, um, Virgin Records, Atlantic. And so, and I was like, what am I going to learn from her? I don't do records, right? But she was on stage and I happened <laughs> to be in the first row. So I'm just sitting there watching. And she mentioned how, I mean, she worked with, uh, what was it, like Kanye and Rihanna and all these superstars. And she'd seen um, the super ones come in and stay and stay and stay. But she'd also seen other ones come in in a, in a, in a flurry and then just fizzle out. Yeah. And, and she was saying that like, what, what, ena what enabled those people to keep coming and, and being a superstar, like, oh, Rihanna's still here, Kanye's still here, was they would reinvent themselves. There you they, go. We would have like a new tune. Yes. You know? And a totally different record and a totally different album. Yeah. It was cool. And they would go off on that limb and it would just reinvigorate their whole audience. Constant reinvention. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I'm glad you, I'm glad you went to that or stayed in the front row for that because yeah, I mean, that's probably a great learning. You're like, wait a minute, I can apply this to actually my yeah. business because it is about reinvention. Um, totally. And you know, and, that, and that, that's not always based on a five-year timeline either. That could be like, hey, we're in this area, but unfortunately, a year later, technology may have changed something that requires you to reinvent yourself. I mean, I watched a lot of that over the past couple of decades, and it's interesting to see who adapts to that and unfortunately who doesn't. And she had a quote at the end that kind of stuck with me. And I, I can't tell you if I'm misquoting, but this is, a, this is specifically what I heard her say was, um, it's like you're in your cave. You got to take off your high school uh, varsity jacket, pick up your <laughs> spear, put on your bear armor, like bear armor. Like, I'm like, wow, that sounds cool. And, and get out of the cave and go get the next one, right? So she's like, take off your varsity jacket, pick up your spear and your bear armor, get out of that cave and go get your next one. And I was like, holy shit, like that's fantastic. Um, and you're right, that reinvention can apply to anyone uh, as a person, as a business, any of these concepts. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we don't, you know, talk enough about in business is reinvention. We're yeah. either worried about, again, getting to the middle or somebody saying like, hey, this is dead. You need to adapt to this. Yeah. And we're not really thinking of like, what's the natural ebb and flow that we all, you know, take. I think if you look at anybody's career, you know, who retires, let's say, and they have like a long career. I mean, it's very rare that most of the people who actually have, you know, careers that they find fulfilling will say they've done, they did the same thing for, you know, 30 or 40 years. Most of the people who've had fulfilling careers will be like, hey, this is, this is, you know, this is what I did the first, you know, five years. Uh, you know, this is what I did in my first job. I did that for like two years. Then I went and did this job and I was in it for five years. Then I went and did this. I mean, even people who say, who stay in the same industry. I mean, like, we can't look at people like someone like a, you know, a David Letterman or a Howard Stern and be like, oh, yeah, they just did the same thing in, you know, even though they were around for a long time. That's not true at all. I mean, early Letterman, very different from later Letterman, really? very different from what he's doing now. He's still How's working. So? How did he change? He, I was always like a Jay Leno guy. How did Letterman he, change? He was just radical in terms of experimenting, you know, on, on, on late night television on NBC. I mean, a lot of his jokes were, and the, and the stunts he did was because they just didn't have big budgets. Uh -huh. And so he came up with crazy things that only a late show could do. Yeah. That was after the Tonight Show. 
And that I think got more people to pay attention to him because he basically got this hardcore audience that was like, he's really, really funny. They would stay up, you know, past 1230 to watch his show. And, you know, you're only going to have certain people when, you know, that's the other thing he understood. There's only certain people that are up at that, uh, at that time of night right. that you can appeal to. So you may as well like go above and beyond. Yeah. And I think that's, well, that, that's a interesting thing to let, you know, he learned and that propelled him into again, the, you know, the 1130 hour, which he sort of stayed in forever. But I mean, before that, before he even got on NBC, he was a weatherman in, in, in the local market, uh, in local markets and, and um, you know, sort of got his start in Indiana. Hmm. So I think, again, you know, it's, it's like you have to look at people who may even be in an industry and how they reinvent themselves in that industry around how those things change. They're really fascinating. Of course, we know that there's tons of people who change industries they're fascinating as well. I always find it interesting because it's like, wait, how did you go from this industry to that industry? But there's something there that allowed them to reinvent themselves. And it was that a lot of it's timing and a lot of it's luck. Let's be honest, you know, again, that's uh, a lot of it's a lot of it's luck. And they just were able to sort of make it work. Put that market timing in there. Do you, do you see, I mean, in terms of disruption, do you, where's podcasting fit into that? It's, I, I've seen it come I mean, it's been around forever, but then in the B2B world and, Businesses seem to be starting to take things on. They're getting more popular. It's, it's no longer just a few in the crowd. It's like they're everywhere. What's your take on that, that medium as a whole? I mean, it's interesting because I watched it first launch in the mid-2000s. I happened to be working for a startup in New York City that took advantage of, of podcasting early on, mainly because it was trying to figure out how to take electronic or digital content, compress it and distribute it across the web. This is obviously pre iPod and you know, pre iPhone when you're basically trying to take what was happening, I think illegally and make it legal so that you, know, you could have content that, would, uh, that could be downloaded you know, bought a la carte and then downloaded movies, music, et cetera. Uh, you know, podcasting fit into that because you had a lot of people who just were like, hey, I'm going to create something. And they were looking to distribute it. And, you know, that first wave was still expensive. I mean, we forget how expensive I think it was to produce a podcast for those, those early years. When I, you know, when I say early years, I'm talking you know pretty much before the ipod so the early 2000s oh, wow, all the yeah. way all the way through the iphone was was expensive you still needed you know expensive equipment the yeah. barrier to entry was high there weren't a lot of players in that space obviously because there just weren't a lot of people there, there weren't a lot of ways to listen i mean if you did get a file you pretty much were listening to it on your desktop or laptop computer it wasn't, I think, until the iPhone sort of made that more mobile that people, that's the second wave. So, you know, 2007 pretty much through, I think, 2000 and, uh, 2013. And the reason why I think 2013 was another sort of break is because you then had platforms coming online like Spreaker and Anchor and others that actually made recording a podcast cheap. So it's one thing to actually have a podcast and distribute it. 
it was still expensive to do that. I think with the iPhone, mm-hmm. it was cheaper to distribute. You could create right. something, you could get an RSS feed. You could basically say to everybody, hey, just, you know, you can listen to this podcast on your phone through this podcast app. But then later, people were, you could say to people, hey, you can record and distribute. And it's very, it's very, you know, cost efficient to do that. And now I think we're in a world where because everybody got into it, the, the more interesting podcasts are the ones that just have, you know, interesting people might do weird things, might have really good production. And some of them still have crap production but people <laughs> love listening to them like to be honest i mean i just, i think i mean it's it's ridiculously popular but the joe rogan experience is not necessarily like it it it's it doesn't have the the best production per se i mean they still Wait, sort of sit in a studio what you think you still your yours is or oh no the the joe rogan experience oh, that rogan, big, really yeah. popular podcast yeah mm-hmm. Like, I think what's made that popular isn't the production as much as the fact that it's like two hours. It's sort of crazy. He has crazy guests and they video stream it on, yeah. you know, the, and then they put the video up on, you know, on YouTube, which usually gets tons and tons of people yes. watching or listening to it then. I mean, he's just, he's basically cracked the code of, hey, we're not just going to make this a listening experience. We're going to make this a viewing experience. Right. And that actually borrows from, you know, sports radio, which yeah. you can watch more than just listen to now. And Howard Stern. Howard Stern was the first to sort of put That's cameras true. in his studio and say, wait a minute, you can watch my show instead of just listening to it. And that brought it to a bigger audience. So I think that, you know, where we are now, it's going to be really interesting. I think live podcasting is actually going to get big again because of this this piece of equipment called the Roadcaster. It's like $500. Mm. And it's like it's easy to take anywhere and broadcast from anywhere live. And I think live, like I, I think that could be big again. I think we could actually see people setting up studios and having live podcast networks. That's sort of what I'm dabbling in. Cause I think that could be really interesting. And, and, and people might say, how's that different from radio or radio still requires an FCC license, expensive equipment yeah. and people who can, you know, who, who are trained in that area. Yeah. Podcasting is still an an area that, you know, you could be anybody off the street but have something to say, it could be interesting and start a show in a certain subject and the barrier to entry is low. I mean, we're doing that right now. And we're and we're still reaching people. So I think it's I mean, it's still something I think it's going to continue to to explode and it was very interesting to read that Spotify has grown heavily this past year and they have attributed it mainly to podcasts. Mm. So once again, something that Apple should have been on top of a third party player is beating them to the punch. Well, my theory on that is, I mean, their visionary is not there, right? So it's too <laughs> now, you know, could you imagine He's rolling over in his grave about we say that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're coming out with a credit card? Are you freaking kidding me? You're all fired. That's what he would say, right? That's now. what he would say, right? You're all fired. <laughs> we are Apple and you're issuing oh. a credit card. He's like, no, make make our own Apple Bitcoin. Sell that. Yeah. No, innovate. Do something different. Okay, you're this whole room. You can all, you can all go work at Dell now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Man. I love it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. The, the live that's interesting that, but you know, I mean, there's Facebook live. What would be the difference of, you know, the, I mean, I think a lot of it would be, I think some of the more interesting people are thinking of, you know, how to do live for a long, longer period of time. So how do you make it, you know, like almost 24 seven. And then how are you broadcasting on networks that can support that? Like yeah. Facebook, you can only go live, I believe two or four hours, maybe okay. tops. So I think we're, I think the next area is basically a lot of these um, podcast networks popping up and going live on on platforms like you know twitch or mixer yeah. or youtube for that matter yeah yeah so we'll you know we'll see i mean again i think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of capital to make that happen but i do i do see some interesting shows now who had not been live who had mainly done things where they record an episode mm -hmm. and they push it out weekly now throwing in every once in a while from like an event they're 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 going live you know and and basically making that happen and almost uh in some ways doing what we you know we understand in marketing hey let's do something live and make it like a tent pole interesting experience where we invite like a live audience to come watch us do these shows yeah. and i'm talking about the big shows the big shows that are like the top 10 you know, shows in their categories, a lot of them now are like dabbling in, hey, how do we actually take this to in front of an audience, which is very much a remix of what happened in television, where television early on would record a program. And then in the 70s, it was like, hey, let's invite a studio audience in and yeah. actually tape the show in front of them. And that's why you had all those shows back in the seventies where the person would do the voiceover. This show was, was, was recorded in front of a live studio audience Yeah, because you want to, you want that connection with the audience. You don't want to just be recording something in like your bedroom or a studio somewhere. You want to be in front of people who actually can listen, yeah. yell stuff, give feedback, make it much more interactive and interesting. So I, I do see a lot more experimentation in the format, you know, in the next couple of years. I wonder how that collides with webinars too. You know, webinars that yeah. see lives of live event, podcasts that maybe not so live event and and there's I mean, gonna be there's gonna be a major convergence there, I think. Like webinars, live sort of live streaming video, live audio, it, it's going to almost become its own animal in some respects. I think yeah. it's going to be fascinating because the webinar is sort of stale, but it's important. Like companies yeah. do need to do it. It's really good from an educational standpoint, but I think they want to make it more interactive. The problem with webinars is you do have, you know, people getting into a queue and then typing their question. How awesome would it be to be like, Hey, you can get into the queue and ask your question. So you're like, Hey, I have a question on this feature. Could you explain this and how to use this? You hear that person's voice and then like the person can respond. I think it's going to really help on the educational front for a lot of companies. And that's exciting. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea of Twitch and business, I was like, Hey, maybe I'll do um, a webinar, 24 hour webinar stream. Every webinar I ever have, <laughs> everything you ever want to learn about marketing automation, the next 24 hours.
Yeah, back to back. There you go. <laughs> the things that get born on podcasts—they <laughs> were—we're we're, not—we're not beige on this one. No, sense. yeah, no we're way. Cranking things up. <laughs> I love that. So, who are you, man? Like, take take me back to like little Jeff days. How did you become this you know, thought leader, author, podcaster? You know, disruptor inside of Microsoft, and who? who like, take me back, like little Jeff days. <laughs> yeah i mean Are i think a lot like of like a marketer and designer do you always have like a uh you know i mean i was always really into i think creative things at a young age really liked to draw and got into you know art early and um you know like just i i got my hands on like my first video recorder when i was 12 you know, one of those big VHS oh, the big ones, right? cameras yeah. and, you know, dabbled with that, played around with that quite a bit and was always really interested in video. Um, and then got into, I think, you know, got into audio. I mean, at a really young age, I mean, we always had radio on in my house. Sure. So uh, that was really cool. But then just, you know, when I went to college, like the first thing that I, said I wanted to, you know, hey, I want to be on, you know, I want to do college radio. Not yeah. just to be on air. I, I did all the promos. I was really more of a behind the scenes person of like, let me cut all the promos. That means you're doing voiceovers, you're you're doing all the commercials, you're doing all the advertising. Do you remember um, a favorite one, like a favorite commercial? Yeah, I think um, you know, one of the commercials I cut was probably for like an on campus event for like a, I think like a speaker that was coming to present. And it was just like, I can't remember who the speaker was, but like we used like really crazy music that just, you know, total, everyone was like, Hey, I'm going to that. I'm going to go see that speaker mainly because we just made the, I think the promo really exciting, you know, caught into people's, uh, you know, just captures their attention. So I, yeah, I mean, just, you know, I think a, a lot of it was just sort of always being in these areas where you could just experiment a lot. I mean, and I'm I think I'm a firm believer. Right? How did, did you did you kind of have an inkling that you were gonna in mass comm? Like, did you have an inkling you're gonna do that stuff? When you, when you got yeah, I think I think a lot of it is you know I wanted to. When people asked me like in college, like, hey, what do you want to do? I, I I've always been really been into like magazine publishing which is really curation if you think about it i mean a magazine is curating stories you're going out you're looking at interesting stories you're curating all of them together always really been into that and um i've always just sort of followed that i mean social media is that in a lot of respects yeah. it's curation on like a on like an electronic engine that anybody could basically sort of put their own thing together right. um you know, so those things always were, you know, fascinating to me. Reading stories was always fascinating to me because you're just like learning really interesting things about, you know, people. And um, I think all that plus just life experience, like, you know, when I graduated from college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Maybe, you know, I think my parents were pushing me for, yeah, you should go to grad school. And I was like, nah, I'd rather just sort of go out into the world and see if I can land a job you know for two years after college i just sort of 
you know, worked at a lot of interesting jobs. That's cool. Just trying so different things, right? Seeing where you trying different things. Yeah. Like laying, I lay, I went and laid out, um, some magazines and newspapers. Oh, so cool. like learn the design side. Was it everything you thought it would be or was it, uh, was no, it it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's thankless work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then also I got into like, let me design websites early on. I had a friend who was really into art and, and coding. And we were like, let's do a, you know, let's do web design. And this was, you know, 1995, 96. A lot of people were like, I don't need a website. So, sure. um, you know, you, you get into that and then, and then it's, um, you know, then it's like, wait a minute, I'm really into music technology. So understanding like MP3 technology and how that's going to play out in the distribution of uh, content. I mean, most of the things I think I'm just interested in are people who say like, Hey, this is sort of like some, you know, an interesting area that you should understand and having the curiosity to go and explore it and not diminish it by saying, no one's going to care about this or no one's going to adopt that. I mean, you hear that quite a bit, I think with, you know, I heard that quite a bit with like podcasts over the years and now it's blown up. I've heard that. I heard that a lot with short form video that's now blown up. I, you know, hear that quite a bit with find new financial models, even though I think there's, you know, there's lots of room for curiosity and, and interesting things there. Um, we, you know, what we see, I think also on e-commerce or I should say commerce innovation. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, there's tons of room for new growth in those areas. Like we can't just assume that everything's going to operate just like, you know, for a few companies that own that space. I mean, there's always going to be, I think, um, disruptors that come along and do interesting things there. So yeah, I mean, that's, I think, you know, my whole take and I tell people this a lot who usually are like, Hey, how do you, how do you, you know, prepare for, doing interesting things or you've had a long, really interesting career is what you said earlier, you know, just reinvention, not really being, not really thinking that you're going to be in one place for a, like a given long period of time. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because I've been at Microsoft for six plus years. Yeah. I haven't done the same thing at Microsoft really? for six plus years. Okay. You know, you have different titles. Even if you have a title, your job changes quite a bit. Like I've, been head of our brand studio at Microsoft Advertising. You know, what that means is working with a lot of our customers on innovation concepts using our technology. None of that is the same. Last year, I dabbled in augmented reality. This year, I'm dabbling more in natural language speech. They're worlds apart from each other. So it's just, it's interesting in terms of, you know, just being curious and open to all the things that you can, you know, that, you know, that you can do. But I, at the end of the day, I think everything starts with writing or language or speaking to one another. So those are always good things to, I think, you know, have under your belt, you know, be a strong writer. You'll probably be fine in any area that you decide to go into um, because communication is just so essential, whether it's internal or external. For sure. And um you know, one you know, one question I I always have too is, you know, if you were to go back in a time machine or you know, hop in a DeLorean, saying how we were on that kick earlier, you know, you go back in time and talk to yourself, 
beginning of your career, you just got out of school, what would you advise yourself knowing what you know now, having done what you've done? I mean, not to sweat the small stuff, not to, you know, use that phrase, but like most of that stuff, you, I mean, it's not that big of a deal at the end of the day. If it works itself out, it figures itself out. Um, you know, it's good to work for people also who I think are realistic in terms of, you know, they'll, they'll, if they're honest and say like, Hey, I've built a business, also had, you know, past failures. I mean, I think now we're starting to realize like most successful people are really successful because they've actually had some failure along the way. So it's actually good to be, you know, it, you know, in a company or work with people who, you know, had that. Otherwise, you know, if you have people who've like never really failed, they, you know, they don't understand what it sometimes takes to succeed because they've never had that failure. But also it's like, you don't want to be on that trip with them when you're like, Oh, this person's never failed before. Ooh, this could be their first failure. Um, you know, that again, not to say not to risk, but it's always good to have, you know, a semblance of, of people who have had realistic careers along the way. I mean, I've, I've, I've gotten to work with people who are, Pretty interesting. You know, I worked for a Richard Branson startup really? in the late 90s. What was that like? Did you have to cross-dress for that? Or how did that work out? <laughs> he was awesome, man. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's sort of like, he was fascinating in terms of like his ideas and, and, and what he sort of brought to the table and, and just the way that, I mean, he does hire crazy, weird people, which is awesome. <laughs> But I mean, I think it was like something that was I really included in that or <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he did, he has really, if we're, if we're talking about something that's like not beige, I mean, like, yeah. you know, he really did change air, you know, airlines with his first, you know, Virgin Atlantic, which he sold for like a billion dollars to Singapore airlines. And what he did with Virgin America was pretty fascinating before he sold that to Alaska. I mean, he did think different in those areas or he hired people who were, you know, he's tasked with like, do something that's interesting. But, you know, if you, re I read his book, uh, you know, losing my virginity from, it's like the nineties. I mean, he's had a, a ton of failures mm. like that. People just don't realize. I mean, a big one is Virgin Coke, uh, Virgin Cola. I yeah. mean, that was a huge failure. I mean, a few of us, you know, who liked that. I mean, and it tasted really different from Coca-Cola. Did it? What did it taste like? Uh, it sort of tasted like RC Cola. Remember RC? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it just failed big time because Coke strangled his distribution. Strangled and the hell it, out of it. it yeah. Difficult. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, he learned from that quickly. Like, it doesn't matter how big your brand is. You need distribution and you need to basically mm -hmm. be on premise and off premise and you can't just serve that on your airline and go hey yeah we have virgin cola and then people are like oh i like this let me go see if i can find it in a store and it's nowhere, nowhere to be yeah <laughs> so or maybe that was the play <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's crazy but I, I do think it's good to be around people who will talk about their failures just as much as their success that's what i think is really important is you know, like, you know, you don't want to, you know, it's nobody really wants to go out and fail. That's just not how we're built as, as humans. 
But like, it's good when you hear from people like, oh yeah, hey Jeff, let me tell you about this story of like when I worked here. And those are good stories to yeah. hear. But they're, it, Learn from they're hilarious. Yeah. But two, they're, you know, well, sometimes they're sad as well. But two, you really learn from them. You really learn like what people can be like when, you know, a, a, a sink, or pardon me, a ship is sinking, for lack of a better analogy. And how you handle yourself in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, man. You've got this sort of crazy path and all these different angles. And it sounds like you're, are you still disrupting you, even from within Microsoft? I mean, yeah, I always, try, I always try to do some things that are, you know, on the edge or entrepreneurial or interesting. I mean, I've been talking to some teams here about, you know, how do we build some interesting products based on some products we already have built, but tying those together, make some interesting things. Um, Here's an idea. Bring back the paperclip. <laughs> Walking paperclip. He tells yeah. you, now it's AI driven. And he tells you, <laughs> by the way, your kid didn't go to school today. He was tardy. He was, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's a cool, I think there's a lot of other people who are really interesting inside the company. I mean, doing yeah. stuff cool stuff with our hardware um you know our software trying to figure out some other things that you know you know where where you can play yeah. in and inside and outside the play you know sort of the sandbox i mean there's it's it's been a fun few years at the company i think it's you know really tried to look at things and say like hey we've you know been second in the market are third in the, in some of these markets, not the market leader. Um, yeah. So, Hey, let's play in a way, in a way that, you know, people would not expect this from us. Again, that goes back to what we talked about in the rental car market. You got to do things people would not expect from you. Uh, if you're, if you're second, third or fourth in line, mm -hmm. uh, not with the goal of, Hey, we'll be first, but just because you, I mean, it really throws off, I think, the market leaders who go, Oh shoot, how come we didn't think about that? Yeah. Um, you know, cause they might again, just be happy at the top, not, uh, not going back and trying to rediscover all the mysteries that are out there to be solved. Makes sense. Cool, man. Where can people find you? Where are you going to be? You're going to be at events. Then how can we connect with you digitally? Throw some links out, some events. Yeah. I mean, you can pretty much find where I'm speaking on my website, jeffreycolone.net um and then i mean i'm on twitter a lot at dj g-e-o-f-f-e and then you can listen to my weekly podcast disruptive fm that comes out weekly you could subscribe awesome. to it so yeah i try to stay as active as possible and then and i and i post quite a bit also on linkedin okay. so if people want to connect or follow me there i mean i'm totally open for that um uh, don't be a yeah. creeper and just send an invite because i'll put a note with it all those tell, them, tell them that you tell them that you know let me know that you listen to this hey i was listening to the hardcore you know podcast and uh that way i'm like okay i'll, I'll accept your invite <laughs> i'll still be friends with casey it was worth the time <laughs> exactly <laughs> help me out people <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well thank you so much for coming on here it was, it was just so much fun just kind of hang out hash out some strategy swap some stories and just 
you know, talk about the future and then also just hear about where you'd come from and some of your experiences. Yeah, I love it. Thanks again. This is uh, long overdue, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. um, for the people listening, I, I want them to, you know, if you learn something from this, and I know you did because I literally have pages of notes over here, then, <laughs> uh, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to like one person or two people. Um, just so you can get this knowledge, you you doesn't you don't lose it when you share it. So share it with someone else. Um, and again, Jeffrey, this has been fantastic. Thanks for coming on here, hashing it out with me, chopping it up. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Cool, cool, cool. For everyone out there listening, it's been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch y'all next time. All right, a big thank you to today's sponsors, Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right, we'll see you on the next one.